0: It was hard to take a full week away from the farm, given all the projects that lie ahead of us, but what we learned at Southern Sog made it all worthwhile.
1: Welcome to Longleaf Breeze, beginners learning subsistence farming using three simple principles, approaching but never reaching subsistence. It's got to be fun while we're doing it. And we don't make allness statements. And now, Lee and Amanda Borden. Thanks, Adrian, And welcome to Longleaf Breeze, our weekly podcast. We're fresh off our trip to Chattanooga and Southern SOG, Southern Sustainable Agriculture Working Group. We did have a good visit, didn't we? We
0: really did. It was fun, um, and we met some great people. The networking is always one of the best parts of it, and I know you'll probably talk about that a little bit. Um, on the podcast. But, you know, going to these breakout sessions, honestly, every time I go, I learn something new. So um, I think we can maybe talk about that for a little while.
1: And you may rag me about this, but I told you and the group last week that I thought this southern SOG would be less useful than the one we attended two years ago because we've had more time and therefore more knowledge gathered from other sources, and you disagreed with me, and I think you were right and I was wrong.
0: Oh, good. Well, I won't rag you, but oh, you want to explain why you think well, of what you do? Well,
1: exactly as you predicted, once we know a little more about what we're doing and have a better idea how to proceed, it we can use what we learn more accurately, I guess. We, we're more discriminating about what we need to know. Um, and therefore, we're more focused about what we're listening for, um, what workshops we attend, the people we talk with. And if something's going on that we know really doesn't relate to what we're doing, we can move on past it pretty quickly and and get to what matters.
0: That's right. And and I think we did just that. Um, I know that in one of the um, sessions we went to, uh, well, we knew we were interested in improving our soil. We knew that that was one of the major Absolutely. Uh, thrusts that we wanted to, to follow on. So uh, I know you went to a couple of different workshops that had to do with soil. I sure did. What was the best one?
1: Well, it, it depends on what you mean by best. In terms of what was probably the most useful, it would have to be Jeff Moyer talking about cover crops. Because that was a real aha for me. Um, If you remember early on you became quite excited about plastic mulch and you said we really need to consider using plastic mulch. Plastic mulch being sheets of plastic that you put down on your soil and then you um, put little holes in them where you are planting your cash crop and everything else stays covered in plastic. The whole idea gave me the heebie-jeebies. I didn't like it to begin with, and I was pretty negative toward it at first. And what Jeff Moyer's program did for me, he's a, a researcher with Rodale Institute. What that helped me get to is that we can use cover crops in a way that once we get into a rhythm will work as well as plastic mulch and be entirely organic and will not require that we use plastic. And so I'm fired up about cover crops now.
0: Well, good, good. Uh, Yes, I think one of the things that I learned in attending workshops that dealt with plastic mulch was that, for one thing, um, we'd pretty much be tied into having to use drip irrigation, even if we have plenty of rainfall, that is, keeping the water going.
1: You're right. And that was, that gave us pause because we've always hoped that we could leverage our plentiful rainfall here and uh, that this should not be all that much, it it shouldn't be as, there there ought to be a way to do it easily.
0: That's right. We've had so much rain this past year, that may completely be uh, warping my point of view. But I do think that we... By and large, we get enough rainfall that we wouldn't have to do as much drip irrigation as you would if you were depending on it completely.
1: Yeah. We also learned a great deal. Oh, I, you were asked what was the best workshop. In terms of fun, just interesting, I couldn't get enough of it, wish it had gone on for all day, uh, Pat Patty Richardson is an entomologist with, uh, I think, Texas. Don't hold me to that, but I think it's Texas.
0: I think you said a University of Texas, Austin. Okay.
1: Well, she had the most fascinating talk about the little critters that live in our soil. Uh, Not microscopic. These are, well, they're too small to see without the help of a microscope, but you're looking at a microscope that's more like a dissecting microscope than the kind of thing we used when we were in high school. These are little critters that are, are probably an eighth of an inch long, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And it's just fascinating to hear all about what they're doing under the soil. Uh, as we're walking around, we're not aware of, of them, uh, but boy, are we dependent on them.
0: Right, right. That's true. And we also uh, both, I think, attended sessions that dealt with compost because we realized how important that is.
1: Yes, we did. And what did we learn?
0: Well, uh, we learned that compost is a good thing, you know, that it, we found more and more people who are relying on that for their organic matter, for their gardens. They're not, of course, we're organic, we don't want to go out and buy fertilizer, uh, but it's it's the best way to nourish your soil when you plant something. And we also both had conversations with, in different contexts with people about what what would happen if we borrowed used compost whatever from uh just those bags people you know they bag up their leaves in the fall and put them out on the street and, in suburban neighborhoods and you or know, what bag we,
1: up their, glass their clippings. grass
0: clippings or whatever and you know if you drove by in your pickup truck and picked those up and dumped them on your compost pile you know there were there were some conversations about well what would happen i know that in urban garden settings a lot of times that's uh a useful source and a free source of compost and certainly they're they're sort of needing that. Um, in our situation we're wondering if it's worthwhile because one of the big issues that came up was the presence of um, the residual herbicides that remain in uh, especially lawn clippings. People, Kim Lawn and places like that treat their, treat lawns with, with the kinds of herbicides, well with any kind of herbicide we don't want, but of course you're probably way ahead of me on this but the problem would be if that's in the compost and then you put it on something you're trying to grow hello it's going to kill that it won't let it you know thrive so uh plus i don't want to be eating food that's got any kind of chemical in it like that so um we just i think the jury's out on exactly how you get around that but we did find out there were some actual um i guess inor- inorganic chemicals specific ones that we should avoid
1: you bet and certainly grass clippings are off limits um, one of the things we learned which probably won't surprise very many people but I, we americans have more agrochemicals, petrochemicals on our lawns foot for foot than would appear in any food crop in you know in, no matter how Monsanto gets to shape it, it's not as bad as what we do on our lawns. So you and I certainly have acknowledged we cannot put anybody's grass clippings on our compost. That'd just be uh, a right. bad mistake from beginning. Right. So the question we have, and we really haven't resolved it yet, is whether we can use leaves in the fall. Can we go around and collect other people's leaves and put them in our compost? We're, uh, As you say, the jury's still out.
0: Yes, and part of it is because a lot of people, when they do yard work, they may mow their lawn and then blow off the leaves and all of that compost or all of that is in there together. So, you know, we don't, we don't want to take any chances, but we'll, we'll know more about that later.
1: And just as an aside, you may think that we're being unduly picky or uh, needlessly worrying about this, but gardening organically is full of stories of people who have used horse manure in their organic gardens and the horse manure has been um corrupted by this chemical people put on their horse pasture and their gardens are ruined i mean not just this year's crop they've got to start all over again and slowly 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 dig out of that hole so um we are a little bit skittish about it
0: yeah so, uh, yeah, compost is one issue that that came up we um I actually uh we had talked some about hoop houses for our future, um, or at least a greenhouse because uh hoop houses of course, would be a great way to extend our growing season. that came through loud and clear in uh sessions I attended, talking to people, and I did pay a visit to an organic uh, a farm in the area, and um they had a, a hoop house as well so I'm not so much ready to say never about those as I was, but I am realizing that we need to have something, either that or a greenhouse, so that we can start some plants from seed. Um, in And we've, we have a whole, there are herbs and lettuces and um, plants like that that you just, we just can't start very well sticking it in the ground out here on Veg Hill. So that's a future conversation as well.
1: So we'll have to have some kind of structure like that. I agree. Uh, Right now, our assumption is it's more likely to be a greenhouse than a hoop house. Right. But we certainly need to have some way developed so we can start seed.
0: That's right. That's right. Get some seedlings going. How well, about
1: that Alabama breakout group?
0: Oh, that was. I did we ever get a head count on the numbers? I don't of know people? that we got
1: a head count as such, but the estimate is somewhere between seventy-five and eighty-five people there. Yes, which was at just least. Wonderful. At
0: least it was good to see that many organic gardeners in Alabama, and all turn out at one time for a, a session. And we had some interesting discussions while we were there with people about. um, Funding for, uh, you know, from the USDA for projects.
1: Yes, and the Natural Resources Conservation Service, NRCS. So, the, learned a lot, but most importantly, it was just fun to see that many organic farmers from Alabama in one place. That's
0: right, and to, to make some connections, as we said. So, and, um, at the, oh, We
1: made a new friend, Sarah right, Brown, right. who is the wife of Joe Brown, mm-hmm. whom we both knew from New College. Uh, did a great job leading the group and keeping the conversation on track, and we were real impressed with her and hoping to get to know her better.
0: Well, we got all inspired while we were at Southern Sog, so now we're back and we're saying, let's get on with it. We're ready to put some of our knowledge into practice, and we do realize that we have some immediate uh, projects ahead of us.
1: Like getting veg hill ready to plant cover crop.
0: Right. We need to do that.
1: What we've figured out is in order for us to plant cover crop, there's a lot of things that have to happen before that. One of them is you got you gotta be in your bonnet about that stump. I want to get that stump out of there. Well there's
0: more than one stump, but there's one in particular that's right in our planting area. We don't want that stump
1: there. No, we don't want that stump there.
0: So what are you doing about it?
1: Well, My father had a stump out in the side yard of the lake place that he fretted about and worked on and cussed at for about three years, I think. (laughs) And he took to calling it Old Cuz. So in uh, memory of you, Daddy, uh, I have christened that stump Old Cuz. And Old Cuz and I have had a good bit of conversation already. (laughs) <laughs> Most of what I've been doing is scratching at it with tractor. And we're making good progress. I was so proud when I came in this morning to tell you old cuz moved. Yay! We got old cuz to move, which is great. So, we got
0: some video of the tractor working with it. So maybe we'll uh, be able to put that on the, the blog.
1: Yeah, it's slow, slow, slow going. Um, what I am working on would take my brother and his excavator about seven or eight minutes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But if it's been for me uh, six, seven, no, probably more like three or four hours at this point. Um, and I'll keep scratching away at it. And maybe one of these days we'll be able to get old cuz loose and then we'll get it out of the way and put back in the hole that huge pile of soil that I have uh, piled over on the side.
0: Right. But you might want to talk about why it is that it's so important to uh, remove that stump. What is it that we're making way for? We, we kind of came up with a different plan of how we want to we plant have. our vegetables.
1: Our assumption mm-hmm. has been that we would conform these rows to the topography and so the rows would be curving so they follow the slope and we're always um, sort of contour plowing effect. Right. What we've realized is it probably is not that big a deal, right up there on Veg Hill, the inclines are not serious enough to be a huge problem. So what we've said is it would make more sense for us to be geometric than it would to have contour plowing up there. And if we're going to be geometric, we don't need to have the roads running east and west because then that puts one side of the row always in the sun and the other side of the row always in the shade. What we're going to do instead is having the rows run north and south so that every row gets morning and afternoon sun.
0: Right. And uh, we also developed a, a plan for having a center column down the middle of the whole uh, patch. Actually got this idea from our new friend Amanda Stone. So um, we'll say Thank hello, you, Amanda. To th- hello to Amanda. She is... Um, at North Carolina.
1: Yeah, they're in Asheville, Asheville now, right. hoping to return to Fort, uh, Payne. Fort Payne, Alabama. Right, where, they're,
0: where they're farming. And we also had some great conversations with her, her and her husband, Philip Sanders, about raising chickens. More about that later. We're That's not ready right. to talk about that. We're not going to get that into, right into chickens right now. <laughs> they're having a great experience <laughs> with it. But she mentioned that her, you know, of course, we've talked before in the podcasts of the past how we like to plant wildflowers to attract butterflies. Um, and other pollinators. So um, we planned to do that, but I had just, sort of scattered my marigolds out around the part of the flower bed um, last year, uh, or not the flower bed, the garden. I did put some of the flower bed too, but um, she just has a practice of putting a huge center row of sunflowers and cosmos, etc., and that does a great job of attracting pollinators. So we thought we'd try that and maybe continue our practice of sc- scattering various herbs, especially basil, some of those that are really fennel, that are um, uh, particularly good at either warding off uh, harmful insects or attracting um, pollinators or, I guess, predators for those mm-hmm. um, bad insects. And so we'll be doing that too. That's that's the overall plan.
1: And we will have, um, we talked about putting some fruit trees in the fence at on veg hill and what we've tentatively decided is we're going to have those fruit trees on the south end of veg hill even though that's probably the most not the most efficient way to use the sunlight the reason we've uh, thought we would do that is because our barn where we are um, where we want to be able to see the garden from is north of veg hill and if we have the fruit trees perched up on the northern edge, they're going to block the view. And we don't want to block the view. We right. want to be able to see everything that's going on on the right. hill. That's so right. we're going to move those fruit trees down to the south end and try to be able to see clearly from the north on down. We'll but, have, uh, oh, go ahead. Well,
0: I'm just going to say, but given the deer damage we've had this year, we have decided that our fruit trees, at least for now, these fruit trees will go inside the deer fence.
1: Yes. We've got about a quarter of an acre fenced in and we know that's not a lot of space, but we also know that the deer are just so voracious. So we want to try to protect everything we can. and Right, right now there's plenty of space because we're having trouble cultivating much over you know a 20 by 40 area anyway. Um, but over time we may decide we're just going to have to start something outside the deer fence.
0: And when we do, we'll cross that bridge. Um, what about the drip line?
1: Well, we'll have a drip line that <clears throat> runs under the underground down to the northern edge of Veg Hill, and our trunk will run along the northern edge of the fence, and we'll go down to the tapes, and the tapes will run north and south. Um, each tape will be independent, independently um, turned on and off, and uh, we should be in good shape with that.
0: Well, good, good. Well, what do you think we'll talk about next week?
1: Well, next week we know we'll have an update on Old Cuz. Either we'll be able to get it <laughs> out or we won't. Um, and we'll also be able to tell you more about the cover crop and how we, what sort of progress we've made on Veg Hill.
0: That's right. So stay tuned, and we look forward to talking to you next week.
1: You've been listening to Longleaf Breeze with Lee and Amanda Borden. We'd love to hear from you. You can call the farm at 334-625-8682. Send email to letters at longleafbreeze.com. Or you can send us honest-to-goodness mail at P.O. Box 780-446, Alabama, 36078. To browse our archive, to learn more about the farm and about Lee and Amanda, and to talk with other listeners, visit us at
0: longleafbreeze.com.